everyone and welcome to today's episode of Brick Nation. I'm your host, the Sideline Statsman, and today we're talking about the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. Yep, that's right. We're talking about the nine people who have been inducted into the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. Now, the importance of why we're doing this is so you guys get the chance to understand each player's significance to the sport of basketball beyond what they have done on the court and more just about what they did for their team and for their coaches and just for the fans in general and of course for the game of basketball. Some of the players you may know on this list, it's self-explanatory. Kobe Bryant, Tim Duncan, Kevin Garnett. There are still six other people. I guarantee you won't know at least one of them. So it's important that I put it down and I tell you guys who they are so you understand why they need to be in the Hall of Fame and why they deserve to be there. There's no excuse for them not to be there. So without further ado, let's get it started with Kobe Bryant. He defined basketball itself. He was in the early part of his career, he was not afraid to take that last shot. He wanted the rock every single time, even if it meant he was going to miss the shot and there was always that risk. He wanted it just to take the shot and make sure to give his team the best chance to win. But as he got older, he got wiser, started passing the ball around, and that's what made him different. As he got older, he matured, and his production never teetered off. It never went too low below his standards. And that's what made him so elite. Think about it. 18 all-star selections. 18. That second most all-time behind Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who has 19. Okay? That's a big deal. Now look at the first team selections. He's got 11. That's tied for second with Karl Malone. Okay. He's won four of the all-star game trophy MVPs. He's won four all-star game MVP awards. That's insane. He's got five rings. He's got five. Three from the time when he had Shaq on his team, and then the two when he was gone. You know what I'm talking about, Lakers fans. 09 and 010? Yeah. Yeah. He also won the MVP award in 2008. But what made Kobe different was it didn't matter what situation you were in, he was going to find a way to make it happen and win the game. Don't forget that 81-point performance he put down in the earlier part of his career. Don't forget that. The second most points scored by a single player in one game, ever. The only player he has ahead of him is Wilt Chamberlain, who had 100. An almost impossible record to beat. And the fact that Kobe dropped 81, unforgettable moment. You will never forget it. If you saw it live in the arena, you are a legend. And you are blessed by the hand of God. He is not just special in that part. When I'm talking about the scoring, I'm not just talking about clutch shooting. I'm talking about scoring in general, like high scoring. I mean, think about it. He's fourth on the all-time point points list. All-time career points list, he's fourth with 33,643. That's nuts. That's insane. That immediately puts you up there as one of the best players of all time. Right there. 
we always talk about Kobe's offense, but we never talk about his defense. Kobe was a defensive machine. They didn't call him Mamba for no reason. The Mamba is like, can bite, and when he bites, it hurts, and it's going to stop you. And that's what happened when you faced Kobe. He was going to stop you. He was going to do anything he could. It's why he has. It's why he was a nine-time NBA All Defense First Team selection. Which, in case you didn't know, that's tied with MJ, tied with Gary Payton, and tied with Kevin Garnett for the most all-time. All-time. Now you know he's got gold medals with the with the USA Basketball. You know he was the he was the 13th overall pick from Charlotte in '96, and then he got traded to the Lakers for Vlad Divac. In case you guys didn't know that story, Divac actually threatened to retire before being actually agreeing to being traded. Which is funny because I can't imagine Kobe never wearing the purple and gold. I could never see him in a Hornets uniform. Ever. It's just crazy to me. What it shows about Kobe is longevity. It shows high health. And at the end of the day, you can rely on him for anything. And that goes for him during his life when he was still here. Obviously, I wish it was under different circumstances, but I'm glad he's in the Hall of Fame. Let's move on to Tim Duncan. Tim Duncan. Honestly, the most efficient player I've seen in a long time. Probably in NBA history. He is the most efficient player. It didn't matter what you needed him to do. He did it. He was also clutch. Not from a three-point because he wasn't really a shooter. But he did anything he needed him to do. He was a leader, and that's all he needed. That's why they got five championships. Him and David Robinson together, the Admiral, they were a force to be reckoned with. Think about it. He got... Two championships out of that. He got two championships out of that. And then from there, he took over the leadership role and won three more without him. It's crazy to think that. And then the man goes ahead and gets 15 all-star selections, eight all-defense first teams, and then... Get three finals MVP awards? Come on, man. Duncan has to be here. There's no doubt in my mind. He's top 10 all-time in rebounds and blocks. And then NBA MVP in 02-03. Come on. Tim Duncan's early career and then his leadership in his late career showed his maturity and just what made him different from other players in the league. I think they're right when they say he's one of the best power forwards of all time, but it just sucks that they played him at center so much. So much. Even though he played it very well. The only downside to his game, simply put, it was his free throw shooting. But we won't get into that. Another thing I would want to mention real quickly, because we're not just talking about NBA here, Tim Duncan. As a college athlete, at Wake Forest. He got ACC Player of the Year. The Atlantic Coastal Conference. You guys know. 
and he was a unanimous first-team All-American in 96 and 97. And then in 97, he collected the Wooden Naismith, Rupp, and Oscar Robertson Awards, all while being named the Associated Press College Player of the Year. If that don't speak volumes, I don't know what does. Tim Duncan, you deserve every bit of being in the Hall of Fame. 100%. Welcome. Moving on now to Kevin Garnett. Kevin Garnett, the big ticket. If you got, if you needed somebody to play defense, this was your guy. If you needed a guy to get rebounds, this was him. He did whatever he could to make sure his team had the chance to return the favor. If a team made the shot, he made sure that they were in the best situation to score. They miss a shot, he's there, take it again. You miss, take it again. And that's who Garnett was. Garnett was big defensive power. That's all he was. It was defense, and it was just his ability to get rebounds. That's just what he was, and it was what made him such a great player. I mean, how else do you explain 15 all-star selections, nine all-defensive first-team selections, and just leading the league in rebounds for four consecutive seasons? 04 to 07, you know, before he joined the Celtics. That was all with the Wolves. And then getting named Defensive Player of the Year after being traded to the Celtics. Like, come on. Garnett had a great career. It's undeniable. And I'm happy he did get that ring in 2008 with the Celtics. That I was very happy for. I will say, though, his career was a lot better when he was playing for the Wolves. I will say that. His career was at his best when he was playing for the Wolves when he was younger because he had that one year with the Celtics when they won the championship that he was phenomenal. And then afterwards, it was going down a little bit over time, and that's because injuries started kicking up. He wasn't scoring the same way. He wasn't having the same impact he was in the past. And the Celtics knew that, and that's when they traded him away to Brooklyn. And Brooklyn realized it soon enough, and then they packaged him away to the Wolves, who signed him for one season, and then he retired at the end of it. He did win an MVP award once, and that was in 04 when he led the league in total points, field goals, and rebounds. And then just with U.S. basketball, he won a gold medal in 2000 in Sydney. And he ranked ninth in all-time leaders for rebounds. That's all I have to say there for Kevin Garnett. Kevin Garnett, just machine. That's it. He's your big ticket to winning a championship and, and locking down opposing teams. 100%. He deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, and I'm glad he is. Now we're starting to get into unfamiliar waters, so bear with me. For coaching, we're going into now Eddie Sutton. Eddie Sutton was a college basketball coach. He was very noted for, um, he was notable for his work with Oklahoma State University, his alma mater, and with Arkansas. Those two universities together, he was very big with. So with Oklahoma State from 91 to 06, he tied the conference record for wins by a first-year coach with 24. 24. He 
posted up a win percentage of 70.9%, and he won a lot of awards. He didn't win any national championships, which is unfortunate. But he was a four-time national coach of the year. That in itself says a lot. He's an eight-time conference coach of the year, and he's the first coach in NCAA history to lead four different schools into the NCAA tournament. Not the Final Four, not the National Championship, into the tournament. That includes Creighton, Arkansas, Kentucky, and Oklahoma State. Those four schools he brought into the tournament. So he also ranks in the top 10 among Division I coaches in all-time victories and has recorded only one losing season in 37 years of coaching. So, simply put, Eddie Sutton was a very good coach. He got the best out of his players when he needed it, and it didn't matter what school he had to go to to prove it. They always were willing to fight for him and for their career and their future. And that's all he asked of them. Just fight like your lives depend on it, which it did sometimes. Your future depended on it. If you want to be a basketball player, sometimes you got to show it and you got to be out there and you got to prove it. Not just being the star player, but being able to be the role player as well. So many different things that Eddie Sutton did for every single college that he coached. But if anything speaks for his accomplishments, it's the fact that he has three Final Four appearances, six Elite Eights, and 12 Sweet Sixteens. Nevertheless, Eddie Sutton, I think you would agree that this is someone who deserves to be in the Basketball Hall of Fame based on that merit alone. Next one's a fu- got a funny story attached to it, so I'm going to just run into it. Rudy Tomjanovich. Rudy Tomjanovich, or Rudy T, as I'm going to call him for the rest of this, he was famous for being one of the Rockets players in the organization. He was there for 34 years. 34 consecutive seasons with the Rockets. As a player, as an assistant coach, and as a head coach. It's just crazy to look at that and say, hey, I spent 34 years with the same team. It's like it never gets old, right? So he was a good player. He uh, had five all-star appearances. He was instrumental with them during those early days. But they never really got far. So what makes this special is this story from his playing career. Probably the only story you may know of him, especially for those older folk out there. In 1977, the Rockets played a game against the Lakers, and he's matched up against Kermit Washington. And they're going back and forth all game. It's their, it's like a grudge match. And eventually Kermit has enough. He turns around and he just punches. He just rocks Rudy T. He hits him, and I kid you not, He shattered his face. He shattered it. It was so bad that there was a belief that he could have had life-threatening head and spinal injuries. Uh, Think about it. He could have been killed by being punched in the middle of a basketball game. It's insane to think that. Can you imagine? You're just playing on the court, you're dribbling the ball, and you turn around you get socked. And that's the last thing you see is somebody's fist hitting you in the face. I couldn't imagine it. 
he ended up making a full recovery within five months, and then two years later, boom, he's got another all-star appearance just like that. The dude was good like that. But let's go to his coaching career, because that's really what he's in here for. He was named the Sporting News Coach of the Year in 93, and he's also the only player in NBA history, or should I say person in NBA history, to score 10,000 career points as a player and then win 500 career games with two championships. That's nuts to me. He led them to a championship in 93-94. Wait, sorry, got it wrong, 94-95. And is one of three coaches to win an NBA title and a gold medal in the Olympics, which comes from the 2000 Olympic Games in Sydney. So when you look at the accomplishments Rudy T. had, I think you have to look at when he turned around the team in 92 and he gave them, he went from having a lottery pick to winning the division crown. They won the Midwest. And they almost made the finals. And he, it's the only time a head coach has ever done that. He was the first head coach to take his team from a lottery pick to the playoffs. Unbelievable. Or not like not even to the playoffs. It's more like he got the lottery pick and then they turned around and they won a championship. Well, not even that. Wow, I'm getting this messed up. Rudy T, in simple words, he took a lottery pick team and made them winners of their division title. They won their division, which had never happened before. So he was the first coach to be able to do that. And just like that, he was able to turn around the team, and in 94-95, they got back-to-back championships, just like that. And they are the only team to win multiple championships in the 90s that were not named the Chicago Bulls. Think about it. And they had two times where they won three in a row in the 90s. Crazy to think that. Nothing beats, though, the run the second time when they got the second ring. In 95, Rudy T. and the Rockets were the sixth seed. And they had to beat four teams who all had the best regular season records. So those were the four best regular season records in the playoffs. And they beat all four of them to win the title and repeat. It's unbelievable. Which came and created the famous line, don't ever underestimate the heart of a champion. So he finished his career with uh, 503 wins and 397 losses which is a 55.9% win percentage, very good actually, and a 51 win, 39 loss playoff mark, which is 56.7. That's higher, so obviously that's better. And both those percentages and career wins are Rockets franchise records. So undeniably, with all the stories I've told you, I think Rudy T deserves to be here. It's 100% true. Now let's shift over to the women's basketball, and look at the coaching and the player. So first, let's look at Tamika Catchings. Tamika Catchings was a prolific scorer, and this just comes from being close to and far from the basket. And that also comes with 
being a capable rebounder, ball handler, and defender. So overall, as a member of the Indiana Fever for 14 years, Tamika Catchings was like Tim Duncan to the Spurs. He, she did everything. She was efficient. The only thing that made her different from Tim Duncan was she could actually shoot well. So Tamika Catchings is a no-brainer for this. But it, it depends. It depends on what else there is here. She was part of the Lady Vols that were coached by Pat Summit, And that was when she won the consensus national play of the year in 2000. And that she got four consecutive first-team All-Americans, which was from 98 to 2001. And she got a national championship in 98 with Summit. So as a college player, she had a really good career. Very good career. And then she's also the WNBA all-time steals leader. And she's considered the the top in the list of the top 20 best players in WNBA history. That's very significant to mention. She also showed a lot of commitment, kind of like a Jeter to the Yankees, David Ortiz to the Red Sox, by staying with the Indiana Fever for all 14 seasons of her career. To which she currently is the VP of Operations and is the general manager of the Fever today thanks to her bachelor's degree in sports management. And plus, you know, 14 years of the team, she's going to know the business. She also was a WNBA MVP in 2011 and led them to a championship in 2012 and winning the finals MVP that year. And to cap it all off, she's a 10-time All-Star and a four-time gold medalist from 2004 to 2016. Whether or not you have certain views involving gender in sports, I think there is no doubt in my mind that we can all agree Catchings needs to be in the Hall of Fame and she deserves every bit to be here. Just like when Sue Bird retires, she deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, without a doubt. Moving on to the next coach, Kim Mulkey. Kimoki is the head coach of the Baylor Bears currently, and she's now going to be in the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. For those who don't know her, she won three national championships with them in 2005, 2012, and 2019. She ranks third all-time among coaches in win percentage, and she was named the Consensus National College Coach of the Year in 2012. And the only way you can get that award is if you win every Coach of the Year award surrounding it, which would mean you have to win the Naismith Coach of the Year, the AP College Basketball Coach of the Year, the WBCA National Coach of the Year, and the USBWA National Coach of the Year. That's a multitude of Coach of the Year awards you have to win in order to get the Consensus Award. So, as the head coach of Baylor since 2000, Get ready for this. Baylor has had 17 tournament appearances. That's in 20 years. 17 appearances in 20 years. 13 Sweet 16s in 20 years. 8 Elite 8s in 20 years. And 4 Final 4s in 20 years. To me, that's unbelievable. That's... Kim Mulkey for Baylor and, and the women's basketball is like Coach K for men's college basketball. Same exact way. Accomplished and proven. 
No doubt in my mind, this person, Miss Mulkey, needs to be in the Basketball Hall of Fame. And if that doesn't seal the deal, here it is right here. She is the first person, male or female, to win a national championship as a player, assistant coach, and head coach. No person has ever done that in the history of college basketball. No one has ever won the championship as a t- as a player, as assistant coach, and as a head coach. And she won three as a head coach. Unbelievable. This leads me to the number eight in Shriney, which is Barbara Stevens. Barbara Stevens, I'm going to be honest, I didn't know a lot about her, so I was a lot in the dark like you. So I did some research, and this is what I found. She has been coaching Bentley since 1986. And in that time, she has guided the team to 22 25-win seasons and 10 trips to the Division II Fab Four. The Fab Four is just another version of the Final Four. Don't get confused by that. She also got a national championship for the first time in 2014 as well. So her accomplishments spread over 40 years in coaching. And she's also the fifth in NCAA women's basketball history to reach 1,000 career wins. She has 1,000. She was named the Russell Athletic WBCA Division II National Coach of the Year five times. Five times spanning from 1992 to 2014. And then the Northeast 10 Coach of the Year 15 times, from 88 all the way to 2018. Hard to really argue this at all if you wanted to. The only argument you probably have is it's D2. But you know, D2 doesn't mean anything. D2 just means, hey, okay, so we're a smaller school that doesn't have as much funding. What's the difference? Barbara Stevens is already in the New England Hall of Fame for basketball. In 2002, she got placed there. And she's in the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame as of 2006. So I think it's about time we put her in. So, Barbara Stevens, welcome to the Basketball Hall of Fame. And finally, Patrick Bauman. For those who don't know Patrick Bauman, he was a longtime FIBA executive and a member of the International Olympic Committee for more than 10 years. Tragically, he passed away back in 2018 at around 51 years old from an untimely heart attack. Unexpected. No one thought it was going to happen. Just unbelievable. And it left the Olympic Committee and those in, in uh, the FIBA world kind of stunned, more or less. So he was known for really trying to get three-on-three basketball expanded globally and eventually transmitted or at least translated into the Olympics. So it's not just like five-on-five basketball. It's three-on-three, and it's, it's, it makes the game more fun and engaging. And I was really a fan of that. And it just sucks that now that of his untimely passing, we may not have that happen. He held a number of positions on several esteemed sports councils and advisory boards, and he also was a former basketball player, coach, and referee prior to joining FIBA. 
He joined in FIBA uh, 94 and then was just rising through the ranks like we all do at our jobs and earned the title of Secretary General in 2002, which he held for 16 years until his passing. Nevertheless, Patrick Lawman left an impact that is felt across all of basketball and across the globe and especially for those who are big fans of the Olympics. And just like that, those are your nine Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame inductees. Once again, Kobe Bryant, Kevin Garnett, Tim Duncan, Barbara Stevens, Patrick Bauman, Eddie Sutton, Rudy Tomjanovic, and Tamika Catchings, and Kim Mulkey. Those are your nine inductees for the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame, all deserving. That's going to do it for us here at Brick Nation. Once again, I am your host, The Sideline Statsman. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at TStatsman and on Instagram at the.sideline.statsman. We'll have another episode up on Friday, but until then, we'll see you next time. Have a great day, everybody.